Chapter One of the Biography of a Prairie Girl. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Trotza. The Biography of a Prairie Girl by Eleanor Gates. Chapter One: The Coming of the Stork. It was always a puzzle to the little girl how the stork that brought her ever reached the lonely dakota farmhouse on a december afternoon without her being frozen and it was another mystery just as deep how the strange bird which her mother said was no larger than a blue crane was able on leaving to carry her father away with him to some family a long long distance off that needed a grown-up man so badly as her three big brothers needed a little sister she often tried to remember the stork his broad nest of pussy willows on the chin of the new moon, and the long trip down through the wind and snow to the open window of the farmhouse. But though she never forgot her christening, and could even remember the things that happened before that, her wonderful journey, she found, had slipped entirely from her mind. But her mother and the three big brothers, ever reminded by the stone-piled mound on the carnelian bluff, never forgot that day. An icy blizzard, carrying in its teeth the blinding sleet that neither man nor animal could breast, was driving fiercely around the wide plains, and the red frame dwelling, and its near-lying buildings of sod, which only the previous morning had stood out bravely against the dreary white waste, were wrapped and almost hidden in great banks that had been caught up from the river heights, and hurled with piercing roars against them. The storm had begun the day before, blowing first in fitful gusts that whistled under the eaves, sent the hay from the stacks flying through the yard, and lifted the ends of the roof shingles threateningly. It had gradually strengthened to a gale toward midday, and the steady downfall of flakes had been turned into a biting scourge that whipped up the soft cloak from the face of the open, treeless prairie and sent it lashing through the frigid air. Long before night had begun to settle down, no eye could penetrate the scudding snow a foot beyond the window ledges, except when a sudden stilling of the tempest disclosed the writhing cottonwood break to the north and the double row of ash saplings leading south to the blotted printless highway with darkness the fury of the blizzard had redoubled and the house had rocked fearfully as each fresh blast struck it so that the nails in the sheathing had snapped from time to time and rung in the tense atmosphere like pistol shots momentary lulls ominous breathing spells had interrupted the blizzard but they had served only to intensify it when it broke again as it rose from threatening silence to rending shrieks, the bellow of the frightened cattle, tied in their narrow stalls, had mingled with it and added to its terrors. But when another wild, sunless day had come, the drift-piled home had ceased to shiver and creak or emit any sounds from without. Hour by hour it had settled deeper and deeper into the snow that weighted its roof and shuttered its windows, until, shrouded and almost effaced, it lay at last, secure from the tempest that swept over it, and deaf to the calls from the buried stables. Downstairs in the big, dim sitting-room, the neighbor woman was keeping the lonely vigil of the stork. Early the previous day, before the storm began, and when the plains still stretched away on all sides, a foam-covered sea, the huge swells of which had been gripped and frozen into quiet, the anxious husband had mounted and started westward across the prairie. The horse had not carried him far, however, for the drifts could not bear its weight, so when the three big brothers, hearing his halloo, had taken him a pair of rude skis made of barrel staves, he had helped them free the floundering animal, and then had gone on afoot. His destination was the army post at the reservation, and he had made swift progress toward it. 
the ice-bound vermilion did not check him, and the sealed sloughs shortened his path. Onward he had sped tirelessly. In half an hour his scarlet nubia had blended into the black of his fur-lined coat. In an hour he was only a speck, now in sight upon the top of a swell, now lost in its trough. And then he had disappeared altogether over the long, unbroken line of the horizon. That day had passed, and the night, and, when a second day was half gone, he had not yet returned. The farmhouse, as hopeful as a sailor's home, felt little worry, believing that he was too good a plainsman to brave such a blizzard foolishly, and pictured him fretting his time away at the post, or in some hospitable shanty nearby. But the neighbor woman was full of fear for his safety, and as she waited alone she walked to and fro, watching first the canopy bed in the corner, and then the shaking sash that, if providence were merciful, might at any moment frame an eager face. Every little while she paused at the stove, where, the hay-twists having long since given out, she fed the fire from a heaping basket of yellow husked corn. The three big brothers were in the attic overhead, huddled close about the warm stove-pipe that came up through the floor, with the dogs at their backs. It was dusk there, too, for the western gable window, broken the evening before by the force of the storm, was nailed tight from within and piled high from without, while the window in the opposite end of the house was intact, but veiled with frost and hung with icicles. The week's washing, swinging under the peaked roof on a long, sagging clothesline, added further to the gloom. Stiff and spectre-like, it moved gently in the currents of air that blew down from the bare, slanting rafters, each garment taking on a fantastic shape of its own. Near the pipe hung the stockings of the family, limp and steaming in the twilight. The biggest brother had been reading aloud to the other two, but as the light grew less, he threw the paper-bound book aside, and they began to talk in subdued tones. Below them they could hear the neighbor woman walking back and forth, the popping of the colonels in the stove. Behind them the dogs slept, and from above came faint sounds of the storm. Outside night was coming on fast, the early night of a stormy day. The neighbor woman, noting the increasing darkness in the sitting-room, lighted a tall kerosene lamp and set it on the clock-shelf near a south window. The lower windows to the west were closed and sightless, so no beacon could shine from them, but she hoped that the lamp's feeble rays, piercing the unscreened top panes of the south window, might by chance catch the eye of the husband were he striving to return. With increasing darkness the blizzard grew in strength and fury. It loosened a clapboard below the east gable and shrieked through the partial opening. It rattled the windows and tore at the heavy planks on the roof that supported the stove-pipe. It blew the snow from the cracks and whistled through them shrilly. It caught the house in its drifts and shook it. The dogs, awakened by the screeching and the clash of things, crouched in fright against their masters. Shepherd, pointer, and Indian dogs trembled when the wind moaned, and answered every whine from without with another. The St. Bernard, separating himself from the pack, sprang at a bound to the boarded-up window and, raising his head, uttered long, dismal howls. The big brothers hastened to quiet him, and spared neither foot nor fist, but the dog, eluding them, returned again and again to the window, and mourned with his muzzle to the west. It was while the hurricane was thus raging over the farmhouse, and when nothing but a bit of south roof in the tops of the cottonwoods showed that a habitation was there, that the stork alighted. The big brothers were drowsing in the dark about the pipe, and the pack whimpering beside them, and did not know of his coming, until, in a sudden lull, there came up through the open trap-door that led to the sitting-room stairs a small, clear, hailing cry. It sounded but for an instant. Then the storm broke again, and the windows rattled, the dogs whined, and the sleet-charged air boomed and thundered and sucked at the quivering house. And the darkness, 
ever blacker and more terrible, settled down. When the neighbor woman came softly up and put her head above the trapdoor, she had to call again and again into the gloom, through which the lines of frozen clothes waved faint and ghost-like, before the big brothers awoke, and rising from their cramped positions, groped their way sleepily to the stairs and followed her down. As they reached the sitting-room and stood in a silent, waiting row by the stove, the dogs about them, the neighbor woman tiptoed to the canopy bed in the corner and took up a tiny bundle, which she brought back and laid in the arms of the biggest brother. Then she leaned back, all fat and smiling, as the big brothers bent over the bundle and looked into a wee, puckered pink face. It was the little girl. End of The Coming of the Stork